You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Last week, we kind of started talking about um, the ways we can change and begin to influence and impact the culture and the climate um, around us. And I talked about this principle, um, and it, 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 it's this. And I had the slides. I don't know if I just didn't get them loaded correctly, uh, so I had a little bit of a glitch there. But, uh, but if you listen carefully, I think you can get this. 10% of the people set the climate. 10% of the people have the ability to set the culture and the environment, and generally, the 90% will tend to follow what the 10% are doing. Now, when 10% of the people become united, they become focused, they'll kind of coalesce around an idea, a vision, a principle, and they'll kind of begin to, to talk and to, and to act in ways that, that kind of in, enact that and to propel what it is that they're trying to influence, and what happens, and again, this, is, this isn't that we consciously, if we're part of the 90%, that we kind of go, oh, look what they're doing, we're going to do that. It's, it's very subtle. Oftentimes, we're very unaware of the influence the 10% are having, but when that 10%, that core of at least 10% of the people kind of get an idea, and, and they're united, they're, they're in lockstep, they've got a plan, they've got a message, and they're out there implementing that consistently, in unison, together, over time, it influences the remaining 90%. And I can stand up here and I can list issue after issue after issue where, I, where we see that um, in our culture. It's oftentimes how a lot of changes come, both good and negative. It's 10% of the people want to begin to introduce a new idea, a new way of thinking, um, and, and they, they begin to find ways to put that message out there to begin to influence you to start thinking um, that, uh, in a different way, to maybe to begin uh, acting in a different way. And this is, again, probably the idea behind the phrase, the silent majority, right? Those are, those are the ones of us that generally kind of make up the 90%. As long as the 10% isn't too radical, as long as they're not you know, too far out of step, we tend to kind of remain silent. And, and again, whether we're aware of it, whether we want to, oftentimes we can be influenced by that. It's again the same idea behind the sleeping giant. And again, we're not aware of this. Um, and it, it's not anything that we're, we're gonna maybe do on purpose to follow the 10%, but over time we are influenced. But there we are, all righty. Good, I was trying to figure out what did I not do. Good, thank you, Callie. Um, so again, if you can organize, unite 10% of the people in a certain direction, the, the, the remaining 90%, more or less, uh, will follow along to some degree. And therein, you have the potential to change the climate and the environment of the culture. And I, I identified kind of some factors last week that can be used uh, to influence that 10% in bringing about the change. So again, if I'm looking to want to begin to change and influence the culture, the environment, I'm going to begin to strategically look for 10% of the people that I think can probably be key leaders, key people, part of that 10% that can help me to begin to move 
moved in a certain direction to bring about a certain change that I want to implement. And so we, we talked about four of them, but I want to just focus on the first three. They are encourage, exhort, and challenge, and correct. Encourage, exhort, challenge, and correct. So using my example from last week, we wanted to change the culture, the environment, the uh, culture at the Iowa uh, Capitol, and the way we approach that, and I, I talked about this, is, is 150 legislators there, 50 in the Senate, 100 in the House. So there was a group of us that began to identify 10% of the people among those 150 legislators that we thought we believed were key leaders or who would have the potential to buy in to what we wanted to do to bring about positive, good, godly, righteous change in the climate, the culture of the capital. So we began to identify who out of that 150 would be maybe a part of that 10% that we could begin to encourage, exhort, challenge, and correct to begin to move about in, in a unified vision to bring about um, that change. And we found, uh, again, as I talked last week, a very negative, a very divisive culture in the capital, and we believed it was largely being driven by unhealthy conflict. So as we identified that factor, we uh, wanted to bring about change uh, in order to do that. We knew that we had to take, um, we had to begin to move these 10% out of unhealthy conflict and into healthy conflict if we were going to bring about the kind of change. Does that make, that make sense? And so we began to identify what are some ways um, that we want to do that. Because again, we felt like if we could get a large enough impact with that 10%, if the 90% could begin to see a difference in the way the 10% were engaging, the way they were doing conflict, uh, that it would over time begin to influence uh, people to maybe want to be you know, more healthy in their conflict, that maybe they would, would, would be willing to learn, um, you know, what is it that you're doing because I see you being so effective in, in, in conflict. Um, so, interesting, last Sunday somebody uh, thought our goal should be to eliminate conflict entirely. Said we should just pray to end all conflict. Well, not only is that impossible, it's really not necessary. Conflict can be a good thing. It is a good thing. Because oftentimes out of conflict, good things happen. Oh, conflict kind of brings issues. It brings problems to the surface. Um, conflict can be uh, the means. It can be the catalyst to bring about really good change. I mean, Jesus, Paul, they all uh, encountered conflict, and they were able to use that conflict to be able to get good things done. So, so conflict uh, in, in and of itself is not a bad thing. It can actually be a very good thing, and God uses conflict oftentimes uh, to move people, to move uh, his kingdom forward. You're always going to have a conflict if you've got more than two people in the room, Okay? Oftentimes on our best days, we're, we're in conflict with ourselves all the time. You know, so so uh, it's, it's just not possible to not have conflict. So 
to change the culture from the unhealthy climate to a more healthy climate, we started to encourage legislators. When we saw them acting out in ways that were healthy conflict, we recognized that. We would verbally affirm them. We would maybe send them uh, a card. Uh, we wanted to reward when we saw that they were using very healthy means to resolve conflict. We exhorted them, and again, we talked about that this last week. We, we used the Bible. The Bible's the best um, instruction book on how to deal with conflict. And so we started teaching them things, you know, not gossiping, not judging, you know, um, uh, going to someone that you have uh, an issue with and resolving it with them one-on-one. -on -one. Those are all things um, that can uh, um, bring us to places of healthy conflict. And finally, we were not afraid to challenge and correct those who maybe were approaching, and I, I gave a great example of that last week, you know, that we had one of those 10% legislators that kind of began to act in very unloving ways toward other people. And, and one of the individuals in our group was not afraid to go and to confront that brother call him to repentance. He repented um, and began to uh, go back to what we were really encouraging and exhorting them to do. So the first two, encourage and exhort, are what we find in the New Testament gifting called the prophetic. So that's really what we are doing when, when we're doing that with legislators, when we're doing that with you, when, when we begin to get you to encourage and to exhort one another, that is what the New Testament calls uh, the prophetic gifting. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Let love be your highest goal. Okay, we're going to talk about that next week because I'm going to tell you what, if love isn't your highest goal, if you're not pursuing love, what I'm about to read to you ain't going to happen. Okay, first and foremost, you've got to let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Holy Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, that's an unknown language, you will only be talking to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be all mysterious. So if I were to stand up here and do an entire sermon to you in the gift of tongues, you would not understand anything. God would be glorified. God would understand what I'm saying. You would just sit there and go, oh, he's just babbling. So, so there's a place for the gift of tongues, but Paul's saying we also need to be desiring the other gifts, the more profitable gifts, and he, and he lists that the gift of prophecy um, is one of those. So you'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it'll all be mysterious, but the one who speaks, uh, the one who prophesies strengthens, that's that exhortation, strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. That's, that's the prophetic gifting of the, of the New Testament. Every time you encourage, edify, exhort, strengthen, that's the prophetic in operation. And, and we can all do that. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the church. That's the goal of prophecy. It's to strengthen you, to strengthen the church. So anytime we encourage, exhort uh, any believer, we're operating in the prophetic gifting, and this is something that God, again, desires all believers to operate. In, in challenging, correcting people, we're just simply using the Matthew 18 approach. If I've got an issue with Alan, I'm going to go to Alan. If Alan has said or done something that has offended me, I'm going to go directly to my brother. I'm not going to go to Dan. Dan wasn't the one that said it or did it. I'm going to go directly to Alan. Now, if Alan won't hear me, if Alan won't uh, engage with me, if Alan won't work toward resolution, I might bring my brother Dan in at that point. 
so that he maybe can help me kind of uh, navigate this, you know, see what I need to see, what Alan needs to see, that we can bring that to a place of resolution. But again, the, uh, Matthew 18 is, I, I need to go directly to the one I have the issue with. So these three same approaches uh, can be used in any setting uh, to bring about a change in the culture. And the challenge I gave you last week, and again, I went into great detail on each one of these points. It is on our website. I would encourage you to go uh, and to listen to that because we are seeing the fruit of this uh, at the Iowa Capitol. And the challenge I um, posed last week was, what if we became a part of the 10%? What if you and I were willing to say, you know what, I wanna be a part of that 10%. I wanna be committed to bringing change. I wanna influence, I wanna impact the culture of the church, the culture of my community, the culture of my workplace, the culture of my family. What if 10% of us just got together and we agreed and we kind of came up with a vision, we came up with a plan of how we were going to bring about good, godly, righteous change, thereby influencing the remaining 90% to move with us. What if 10% of us were just committed to using a Matthew 18 approach when someone offends you, when someone does something you don't either understand or like, or maybe it impacts you negatively. How many of you would be willing, 10% of the people that are willing to engage, uh, to disengage in unhealthy conflict and to engage in healthy conflict? What if 10% of us were, in, were encouragers, exhorters, Strengtheners. What if 10% of us were committed to using that prophetic gifting that Paul says is ours? Think about the healthy change that could bring to the environment. What if we could exhort one another through the word of God? What if I could challenge and correct you and be challenged and be corrected? I'm open to that. You're open to that out of our love for one another because we care about each other and we wanna see God's best for me and for you. And oftentimes that involves being challenged and being corrected. It involves being able to challenge and be able to be corrected. Just think of the environment we could have if we could engage in that together in a loving way. We get a glimpse of that in Acts 5. Apostles were teaching the crowds, they're healing people, many people are being saved, so much so that the Jewish leaders, the high priests, they're seeing everything that's going on and they become very jealous and envious. Why can't we do those things? Why are they having such success? And so they have the apostles arrested and the apostles were brought before the high council and one of the high priests says to the apostles in verse 28, didn't we tell you to never again teach in this man's name, he demanded. Instead, now get this, you have filled Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. You have filled all of Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus you gotta understand this high priest, he is saying this, this is, this is a complaint, this is negative, what he's, what he's leveling at them. 
The apostles, they hear that. They, they, they receive it as a positive. It's a compliment. Because that's what they, that's what they were committed. That, that, that 10% that, that populated the city at that time, that's what they were committed to. We are committed to filling all Jerusalem with the teaching of Jesus. And these people have said, you're doing it. They're like, hallelujah. They're like, knock it off. They're like, hallelujah. Wouldn't that be an awesome thing for us, our church, to be a part of a number of churches in Mason City that we would have that accusation leveled at us? You, Praise Community Church, you're filling all of Mason City with Jesus' teachings. Yeah. That's the power of a committed Unified 10%. We're just committed to changing the culture and we're gonna do it in a healthy, in a godly, in a positive way. And we're, and we're gonna do that by encouraging one another, by exhorting one another through the word of God and being able to challenge and to correct and to be challenged and corrected. And I believe when we do that, we will begin to saturate our environments we will begin to influence the places we are and we will begin to bring about change and the kingdom of God. So this morning I wanna just shift a little bit and that was kind of a recap from last week. This morning I wanna just shift a little bit and I wanna to begin to look at some of the tools <clears throat> that God uses in transforming us so that we can bring transformation to our culture and to others. There are many approaches that, that God uses in bringing about transformation in our lives and in the life of a culture. Um, and, and really, God's primary goal, God's, um, God's vision for your life is, is to change and to transform you in such a way that you're becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. Now, he has a number of ways he's gonna do that. But that is his primary goal, his vision for your life is he wants to see you become more and more like Jesus. And one of the means God uses to bring about that kind of change, that kind of transformation to us and to our culture is by inviting us into uh, the application, the activation of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I, I wanna talk about that um, starting today and just in, in the coming weeks. Now listen to what Paul writes in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Now, how many of you believe that's a, that's a good thing? Yeah, as a believer, that's ultimately what we want is we want to get to a place where, where more and more of our life we're being led, we're being guided by the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that important? Why do we need that? Well, Paul tells you, then. Then, it's connecting you back to that, that opening there. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then. You won't, now again, he's writing this to believers, okay? He's not writing this to, 
to unbelievers. He's not writing this to pagans. I mean, it's, it's a, it applies to them. They, they can sure read it and receive it, but, but, but he's writing to the church in Galatia. He's writing to a body of believers there. And he says, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit, he gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Now, get this. I I want this to wash over you this morning. These two forces, what are the two forces? The sinful nature, the Holy Spirit, right? Are, Are we all on the same page there? These two forces are constantly, always, never ending, never giving up, never relenting. These two forces are always fighting with each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed or you're, the Holy Spirit's guiding your life, Paul says you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the decrees of your sinful nature, he says the results are very clear. Sexual immorality. So he's just giving you the fruit of, of the sinful nature. If these things are in your life, Paul is, is pointing out to you, you've got some elements uh, of the, the sinful nature uh, erupting in your life. And again, he's talking to believers here. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He said there's a lot more to it. I'm just giving you some examples there, Paul's saying. There's, there's a lot of other sins that, that I could list, but he's, he's like, I think you get the picture, right? That's what Paul's saying. Let me tell you again, as I have before, since this isn't the first time he's told them this, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, I like different translations because I think they can take kind of the same verses um, and, and really bring a, a fuller, clearer perspective to what the Word is saying. Now, I want you to listen to these same verses uh, from the Passion Translations. That's what you got this morning, Winter. So this is coming out of that Bible that you got today. Um, and here's what it says. Let me emphasize this. As you yield, and, and that's the key there, as you yield, as you surrender, as you give yourself to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, because he's not going to come in and force it. It's an invitation. It's there for you to take, to receive, to surrender, to submit to, to walk in. It says you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. So when your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free within you. That's God's desire. He wants to live free within you. Again, that's his goal. It's his desire for us. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then, the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. Those are the things that are, that are constantly 
struggling and battling against each other. But when you yield to the life of the Spirit, you'll no longer be living under the law, but soaring above it. I love that phrase. The behavior of the self-life is obvious, sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography, chasing after things instead of God, manipulating others, hatred of those who get in your way, senseless arguments, resentment when others are favored, temper tantrums, angry quarrels, only thinking of yourself, being in love with your own opinions, being envious of the blessings of others, murder, uncontrolled addiction, wild parties, and all similar behavior. Paul says, haven't I already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the blessings of the kingdom of God? But he says the fruit produced by the Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Now I love this, because he's basically saying this is love at work says it's joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Let that sink in. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are meant to be limitless. I'll come back to that in just a moment. What I want you to see in these nine attributes is you are looking at the nature of God. If you've ever asked yourself, what is God like? What does God look like? If I were to encounter God, what would I encounter? And what, you're, what you see in those nine attributes is that is the manifested nature of God. Of God. These nine attributes listed there, they're not just merely characteristics that God has, they are the very nature of the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, before there was a beginning, there was a fellowship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was, there were, uh, um, there were things being shared between them, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It was the purest of love, the purest of joy, the purest of kindness, the purest of gentleness. In this fellowship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you were seeing uh, not just these nine, uh, but, but many attributes are flowing freely back and forth in that relationship, in that fellowship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These nine attributes are just some of the ways that the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit interact with each other. And I want you to understand these are the same attributes by which he interacts with us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the way they interact with each other is the same way they want to interact with you and I. God doesn't say, I love the Son this way, but I love you a different way. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says God is love. And what he's saying is he's saying this is the love that the Father has. This is who I am. I am love. And this love is expressed in the fellowship between the Son and the Holy Spirit. It is the love by which I love them. It is also the love in which I love you. 
That's why Jesus said in John 15, 9, I have loved you even or with the same kind of love the Father has loved me. So the very love the Father has towards the Son is the same love he has towards us because it is his very nature. It's who he is. God can't be anything other than love. Even if he wanted to be, he can't because that's what he is. He's love. God's faithfulness to the Son and to the Holy Spirit is the same faithfulness that he extends and interacts with us. And again, this is true of all nine attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. The gentleness of the Father toward the Son and the Holy Spirit is the same gentleness he expresses toward you and I. Now, I I want this next point to kind of wash over us because this is where I want to kind of go for the next, however, I always give timelines and then I I never meet that. Every encounter, every situation in your life, every circumstance in your life that we find ourselves in, I don't care how big or small it is, how good or bad it is, doesn't matter. Every situation, every circumstance, Everything that happens or is happening or is going to happen in your life is an invitation from the Father to us to activate, to participate in one or more of the nine attributes found there in the fruit of the Spirit. Every circumstance, every situation Every encounter you're ever going to have from the mundane ones, the day-to-day ones, the ones where you see the same people, you know, all the time at home, in the workplace, every encounter, every situation, every circumstance you find yourself in is an invitation from God the Father to partner with him and allow him to activate, to guide you, to lead you by the Holy Spirit to begin to walk out the fruit of the Spirit and refuse to participate with the works of the flesh, our sinful nation. Remember what Paul says in Galatians 5, these two forces, they're constantly fighting against each other. Those two forces are our sinful nature and the desires of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to believers See, what religion has taught us is if you have a lustful thought, you're probably not really born again. If you have an outburst of anger, boy, you're you're probably really not a Christian. If you ever quarrel with someone, what's the devil there whispering in your ear? You know, if you really loved Jesus, you wouldn't be doing this. I, I get this all the time. I, after a sermon, somebody will come up and say to me, Pastor, it's like you're reading my mail. I say, I'm not, I'm not reading your mail. I'm reading my mail because we're all getting the same junk mail, right? 
We're all getting this message. It's not just you. You thought it was just you. It's not just you. We all have this struggle between the sinful nature and what the Holy Spirit desires to do in us. What religion has taught us to do is to deny that, to cover that up, to lie about that. Because if you really, really knew the reality of that, you would question my salvation. And I I don't want anybody questioning my salvation. I'm struggling enough without somebody questioning whether I'm really born again, spirit-filled, and love Jesus. That's why Paul makes the point. They're constantly fighting. They're at war. It's a tug of war going on inside you. And some days, it's not as bad as others, but there are days where it is intense. And our life experiences tell us that's true. Every situation, every circumstance, at some level, it is a, it's a tug of war. Which way are you going to go, Jeff? Are, are you going to go with the sinful nature? Is that what you're going to allow to manifest in this situation, this circumstance? Or are you going to yield? Are you going to surrender? And Are you going to partner with God so that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control can manifest here? What do you want to do, Jeff? Where do you want to go? What do you want to partner with? That's that tug of war, and we constantly have it. It never lets up. Some days it's more intense than others, but it's always there at some level. Again, one way leads, we're going to manifest the sinful nature which Paul says are like sexual immorality, lustful pleasures, drunkenness, outbursts of anger. Whatever the fruit is, look at the root. Outbursts of anger, it's because I'm partnering with, with my sinful nature. That isn't what God wants. The Holy Spirit's giving me a desire. He's giving me an invitation to partner with him so that instead of outbursts of anger that I can begin to manifest love, peace, Patience, kindness, gentleness. You get my point, okay. Let me just give you an example from my own life from a couple of months ago. And if some of you did not know this story already, I would change the facts to make myself look like a saint. But some of you already know the story, so I can't do that because you'd bust me. And I had an opportunity, situation, where I could have chosen to partner with the Holy Spirit's desire in me, but I chose to just go ahead and to partner with my sinful nature. Weekend of Easter, past April, I needed a new pair of pants and a new belt. These are the pants. Thank you, Jeff, you're wearing pants. I got these pants, okay? So I go to Kohl's here in Mason City. When I get to the door to enter, I saw there was a sign on there that required the use of a face mask to enter. Now, I knew I was only going to be in there a brief time, and I've I've told you my rant on face masks, but I did not want to uh, potentially make a scene. I don't want to cause problems for the employees because, look, I know this this isn't their rule. 
They're, they're just made to enforce it. You know, they, they didn't come up with this idea to make all of us wear face masks. They were just put in places and positions where they have to force people to do what, what upper management, higher up people do. Right, Becky? Yeah, she understands that. So, you know, I don't want to go in there and make a scene. I don't want to cause any trouble for these people that probably don't want to be wearing the face mask either. So before, you know, I went into the store, I put the face mask on, and I went into shop. Now, before we go any further into the story, I need to give you some background history regarding a particular woman who would occasionally come by the church. She did not come to services here uh, that I know of ever, but she would come by the, the church. And the first time I met this woman, she'd come to the church with a, a manila envelope, and it was just uh, uh, filled with uh, papers, and when I met her at the door, she told me that she had evidence that the police department, the mayor, the sheriff, the sheriff's office were all involved in this big, um, this big uh, um, uh, sex trafficking, uh, and she had proof in this envelope she had and wanted to know if she could come in and show me. Well, I was, I was just kind of like taken back. I've never had anybody ever come up to me claiming something like that, so she seemed like a nice lady, said she was a Christian, born again, spirit-filled, and I didn't have any evidence to argue otherwise, so I, I said, sure. So, you know, she came in, and she, she takes this stuff out of the envelope, and all she's got in there are just handwritten notes. Her, her own handwritten notes. So I, I'm looking through this, and you know, and I, I, you know, tried to take a few minutes to show her that I was trying to be diligent and serious in what she was showing me, and, and I finally just said to her, you know, is, is there anything else? She said, no, that's it. And I said, well, that it's really not evidence. I mean, these are just kind of handwritten notes and so I said you know if, if you had like you know videos or recordings or you know signed confessions or or witnesses you know that could testify to this that that's evidence and that's what I would probably need to see before I could really kind of respond and, and her comment to me was well you're, you're you're just a part of that ring you're, you're in on that sex trafficking. That's why you're doing. I was just like, oh, wow. So I ended that conversation uh, uh, quickly. So um, what, uh, over the course of several years, she would occasionally come by the church, and she would just be looking for assistance for food, rent, utilities. Sometimes we would help her. Sometimes we just weren't in a position to do this. And the times we helped her, uh, you know, we were wonderful Christians. Our, you know, our church was just right up there uh, in heaven. Um, and the times we didn't help her, uh, you know, we were horrible people. I was, you know, uh, uh, incarnation of the devil. And, you know, so it just kind of had a very, very... Uh, just kind of a very interesting, difficult relationship with this woman. And so she had come uh, like a month prior to my going to Kohl's in April, and uh, we were not able to help her. Uh, and, and I told her, and she got very, very angry and started to, to, to uh, argue with me and, and yell at me. And um, so I just kind of pulled the door to the, the inner doors closed. You know, we have a mag lock on there, so the door locked, and I was able to walk back into my office, and she stood out in the entryway um, just screaming and, and yelling uh, and saying all kinds of things, and eventually she left. So. Back to sh shopping at Kohl's. I'm there looking for a pair of pants and a belt when I hear a woman say, aren't you the pastor at Praise Community Church? I, I, I recognize the voice right away. I look up, it's this woman. She knows I am, um, and I, I, you know, it's like you're just tempted to say, no, I just look like him. 
Knowing she knew I was, I said, yes, I am, to which she started yelling inside Coles on a Saturday before Easter. The store's full. She starts yelling at the top of her lungs. You are a servant of Satan wearing that face mask. You are a false prophet because if you truly trusted in Jesus, you wouldn't need that face mask. He would protect, and she just went off. Now, I would expect that if you weren't wearing a face mask, but I'm wearing a face mask, and she is just yelling um, all of this, and, and I'm just trying to walk away from her. She's just following me, just yelling. You are a false prophet. This guy calls himself a pastor. He doesn't trust God. I wouldn't go to his church. And I, I knew she's just getting back at me. So finally, a woman comes up who happened to be the store manager, and she said, is there a problem? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm explaining to her what happened, you know, what, what she's doing. And this woman uh, and her son are standing, you know, right over there as I'm, I'm telling this, and this store manager, you know, what is going on? You know, I've got the face mask on. She starts yelling um, at me. I tried to get away from her. She's following me. Uh, and so she kind of goes over to this woman, and she says, is there a problem? Now, I was not prepared for what this woman did. She said to the manager, that man is a pastor and he just tried to sexually assault my son. I looked at her. My blood boiled. To make that kind of an accusation against me in the presence of people who did not know me, I went with the sinful nature. Called that woman a liar. I probably said some other things uh, out of that sinful, but I was, I was angry. I could, just, I could just feel the evil coming off of what she did. And her son's just standing there with this, with this wicked, evil grin on his face. So luckily, I believe by faith that the store manager realized this was not true. And I said to her, you can check the security cameras, uh, go back and look at them. If you need the police to come in, you can look at them and you'll know I never came within 20 feet of him. But I think she knew that this was not true, and so she took the lady, helped her get what she needed, her and her son, and, and got her out of the store. Now, I tell you this story. In regards to what I said about that tug of war, between our sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit, you're always gonna be operating, manifesting, and cooperating with one of those two realms the sinful nature or the fruit of the Spirit. Always, always going to be a tug of war there. In every situation, every circumstance, every encounter, you have a choice. Choice is set before you. The path is there. The doors are there. What are you gonna walk through? You're gonna choose to either cooperate, partner with your sinful nature, or you're going to agree to yield to, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. 
And that is one of the ways that God uses to conform us more and more into the image of his son. Every time I deny the sinful nature and I choose to partner with the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control of God, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm stepping out of one, coming into another, and in that I'm becoming more and more and more conformed to the image of Christ. I have no idea what would have happened in that situation had I, not, if, had I just said, you know what, and, and it, I've never had anything like that happen to me before. This, this, I, I was just caught off guard. But still, it was a situation, it was a circumstance, and God's invitation was open to me even in that situation I'd never been in before that was horrifying. I never want to go through something like that again. Terrible to have someone say what she said, to accuse what she accused. But I still had a choice. Which one are you going to go with here, Jeff? Which one are you going to partner with? Which one are you going to allow to manifest? I have no idea what the outcome of that situation, how different it might have been if I would have denied my sinful nature and just simply said, you know what? I'm going to choose to manifest love. I'm going to choose to manifest peace. I'm going to just, I'm going to choose to allow God to manifest his gentleness in and through me. I have no idea how the situation would be different, but I had a choice. Because every situation, every circumstance, no matter how good, how big, how small, how bad, Every situation, every circumstance is an invitation by God to either partner with, to cooperate with, to manifest either our sinful nature or the fruit of the Spirit. We choose. We're out of time. Okay, let's just stand together and pray. I think I made my point. What's that saying? Put away the paints. We got the picture. <laughs> Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, that every one of us, I, I, I hope every one of us here this morning can really relate to this, that we can see practical examples even in our own life, even within you know, the last 24 hours, Lord, where we've been in situations, circumstances, Lord. We've had opportunities whether they're at home, the workplace, Father, wherever, Lord, we've had opportunities and situations in our life, God, that every one of them have been an invitation to feel that tug of war, to feel that conflict, to feel the things that are pulling at us between the sinful nature and the fruit of the Spirit. And Father, every one of us in this room have gone both ways. We understand, we know the nature of this struggle. And so God, this morning, we're just asking God that, that again, that, that prayer of David, God created me a clean heart, a new heart, a steadfast heart, a committed heart, that God, I would begin to see every situation, every circumstance in my life, that it is an invitation by you to partner with you, to allow your Holy Spirit to lead me, to guide me, that, that you would begin to manifest the fruits of your spirit, that the, your, your nature, God, would begin to just manifest in us, God, that, that, the, that the love you have is the love we would receive, that it would be the love we would begin to love others with. The joy that, that you share with the Son and the Holy Spirit, that same joy is available to us, God, that we can walk in joy and not in division, not in outburst of anger, not in jealousy, Father. We thank you, Lord, that your patience 
Father, that, that you invite us, Lord, to, re, to, to share in, to manifest, to walk in the patience that, that you have between uh, the Son and the Holy Spirit, that that patience is available to us as well. It, it's your nature, and God, you want to manifest that in us. God, you want to manifest that, and you want to bring that into that situation, that circumstance, God. So not only are we influenced, changed, transformed, and impacted by that, but God, so is the environment, the people that are a part of that situation and circumstance. God, we ask, Lord, that you would create in us that kind of a heart, that kind of a desire. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that that is your desire for us. And because it is your desire for us, God, you have the means, the power, the plan, the ability to pull it off. He who began a good work in you, he is faithful. That's a manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. He is faithful to complete that in you because that's who he is. That's what he does. And so, Father, we choose to partner with you. We choose to partner in that. We choose to go your way in that, Father. So Lord, in, the, in these coming weeks as we begin to really tear into uh, this, Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just continue to open our eyes. And that, God, you would just begin to lead and guide us in that gentleness. I love that God is not going to yell. He's not going uh, to berate you. He's not going to belittle you. He's going to lead you in his gentleness, Father. So we, we look for that manifestation, Father. We, we long to, to hear that gentle voice. We long to, to feel your gentle spirit leading and guiding us in the way that leads to everlasting life, that we can enjoy the beauty, the promise, the provision of your kingdom. And Father, we thank you for all of this. In Jesus' name we pray. You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org.